Do you think you may have a problem with your alcohol consumption or drug use? Are you thinking about quitting and want to know what all the sober hype is about? Whatever the reason, I'm so grateful you're here with me today. My name is Sarah, and I am the creator and host of Sober Gratitudes. I once was an active alcoholic, and after decades of failed attempts to control my drinking, I finally reached out for help. Letting others help me is why I'm here today, living a life I never thought possible. The suffering of my past was the catalyst I needed to find recovery and be receptive to healing. I created this podcast out of the desire to recover out loud and, with the help of my guests, show you how a better life is possible after addiction. Whether you have been here before or you are a first-time listener, I would be so grateful if you would take a moment to write a review on Apple Podcasts so that it can reach more people who may be struggling. Together, we can help those in need. You can also reach me at sobergratitudes at gmail.com with any questions or comments. Thank you again for dropping in today, and welcome to Sober Gratitudes. Sober Gratitudes is a podcast dedicated to spreading the hope in recovery from addiction. It is an inclusive show that does not promote or represent any recovery program. When my guests and I discuss what keeps us sober, we are referring to our own unique experiences. Our goal is to encourage and give hope to those who are struggling and need support. Sober Gratitudes podcast is proud to come together and partner with Valor Fitness Clothing in our mutual mission to support and encourage the recovering community. Based in Los Angeles and inspired by real recovery, Valor Fitness lives up to its mission. With one item sold, Valor Fitness donates one item to a homeless shelter or transitional rehab facility. Because Valor Fitness Clothing supports Sober Gratitude's mission, everyone can receive a discount when shopping. Use the code GRATITUDE20 at checkout. Also, every guest on my podcast will be graciously given a gift certificate from Valor. We're stronger together when we come together. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Episode 7 of Sober Gratitudes. My name is Sarah, and I am your host of this podcast. Whether you're here for the first time or coming back for more, thank you. My guest for today is Emily. Emily is salt of the earth, the real deal. I can't tell you how inspired I was listening to Emily's incredible story about her life battling addiction, chronic relapsing, detox and rehabs, and now, today, sobriety. This episode is one you can't miss. So without further ado, welcome, Emily. Hi, Emily. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm so glad you're here today. And I'm very, very excited. This is going to be great. It is. I'm, you are one of the most inspiring people I follow on Instagram. And Oh, wow. Thanks. You, are, you, you truly are. And it's just, I'm, I'm so excited that you're going to be a part of this community of people sharing their stories and their gratitudes and giving people hope. And I think you're, you're just going to do a wonderful job. So um, anyway, I, before we start kind of the formal interview, I, just to um, 
throw out an icebreaker question. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Okay. So this, no, this should be easy. Um, so what is the last song that you listened to before talking to me? Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, it was tiny dancer by Lady Gaga. By Lady Gaga? No, 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 no. No, I take that back. Um, I'm sorry. I was listening to this album. It's not Lady Gaga. It's Florence and the Machine. Oh. Wait, Tiny Lady, Dancer? Isn't that? Tiny Dancer by Florence and the Machine. It's, yeah, it's a um, Elton John song. And um, so she covered it. Um, I've never, Lady Gaga. Yeah. I've never heard that. I, I love the yeah. song by Elton John. I love Elton John. Yeah. So the song before that what was um, a Lady Gaga song. So I got a little okay. mixed up. But yes, I am a music maniac, actually. So that was a perfect question. Yeah, well, that's why I asked. Because I... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and right, there's two musicians we, we both love <clears throat> um, in common, Elton John and uh, Lady Gaga. The, I, awesome. I love them. And Sia. Do you know, you know, Sia? Right? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. That takes me back. I've liked her for a long time. Yeah. That song, um, Chandelier, mm-hmm. that one I mm-hmm. remember listening to an early recovery and just sobbing because I'm like, I feel like she wrote that either while she was in, in active addiction or reflecting on active addiction because mm. that line where she she says well you know she says one two three one two three drink which is kind of li- very literal like that makes sense and then yeah and then she says then comes the shame comes the shame you know the next one and I, yep. I just oh, I mean that just gets me that really gets me so I love I love her. there's yeah. yeah there's an old Sia song um what the heck was it called? I can't remember, but it's, it's, um, something I know it starts with like, um, Oh, it's called I'm in here. Yeah. Have you heard that one? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's like, I'm in here. Can anybody hear me? Um, yeah, it's basically like, like a cry for help basically. Mm -hmm. And I, Oh God, this is not going to paint a great picture of me, but I just remember being half lit, just screaming that song at the top of my lungs, you know, I'm not kidding, buried in self pity and all sorts of wonderful, you know, things that happen when we're stuck in the mess. So self pity, but yeah, she's great. What's what? Yeah. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, <laughs> yeah it's just this little thing yeah. that I had for a day and I don't know big deal <laughs> yeah um and I was gonna say another thing about music oh yeah about Sia I love how she she kind of presents herself now as anonymous with the hair thing you know mm-hmm. that's just yep. that's just so awesome I love it yeah okay good all right well now that we're we're kind of you know relaxed and settling in here um I just want to first you know tell the listeners that Emily is you have to follow her if if you don't already she's Emily and you've you came out I know at one point came out of the closet 
not you know what I mean in terms of being well yeah actually pretty 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 literally since I was a closet drinker but yeah yeah. but you were originally um your your handle was anonymous anonymous Jane yeah yes oh that makes sense to me now because when I was reading a lot of your awesome quotes it says a Jane and Mm -hmm. so it's it is by you it's not like you're posting somebody else's right it's interesting too because um I've always I've loved to write I've always you know written things um and I think you know that was my way of um being able to speak when I felt like no one was listening to me um and when I was about a year sober this time I got this wild hair that maybe I should share some of these things. And, um, you know, something told me to do it and it it wasn't me. And so I didn't know how I had no idea what to do. I had a teeny tiny little, you know, family, um, Instagram account. And what I did was I made an anonymous Instagram account with zero followers. I didn't tell anyone, not even my husband, that I was doing this. And I started posting um, old things that I had written. And that was it. Like, I had no idea what would happen. I didn't even know about this um, recovery community on Instagram. I didn't know diddly shit about hashtags or I, I didn't know. I don't, I still pretty much don't know anything about social media or how it really, you know, works, but, um, yeah. And things just evolved and grew and I just kind of went with the flow and now this is what it is. That's awesome. Yeah. Can I read just a couple of the quotes that stand out to me? Sure. Of course. Um, I'll read a couple and then, and then you follow with anything that, that strikes you about anything that I've read of yours. Um, Okay. okay. So here, here's a couple having boundaries doesn't make me a bitch. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, and then if you are all, if you are all up in the problem, I'm out. But if you are digging deep, looking for the solution I am in. Right. Love that. Okay. The next is there are people out there who want to see the real you. Mm-hmm. And two more. I'm way, I'm way over wasting days. We get a second chance to have the life we wanted. Better go get it. Time is ticking. Yes. And then the last one, which I, re- oh, I feel that really, one. really, yeah, yeah. I really, really love this last one. Pain is inevitable. Misery is optional. Mm, yes. Yes. I didn't make that one. I've heard that one, you know, before, but yeah, I feel all, I feel all that, all that. Yep. Yeah. The pain is inevitable. Misery is optional, right? Cause we, we all have pain, right? In in the horror stories, mm-hmm. and 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 yep. then often when we first get sober, right, and we're struggling to kind of 
to let go of those things that we were numbing for so long. Right. Yeah. And so then we get to choose then, do we want to just sit in the misery of past pains or do we want to move forward and live? Well, I think, I think for me, um, the whole idea of what I was doing in early sobriety um, really kind of had to go through like this evolution. I didn't know just how negative I was and miserable I was and how much I paid attention to what was wrong versus what was right in the beginning because I was so programmed to do that. That's how I thought, you know, that's how we think when we're, when we're addicts, it's just the way we get used to thinking. Uh, So this idea when I got sober, you know, bringing it into gratitude was, it was like having to, to learn a new habit. It was very, very interesting. Um, Pain was something that I worked real hard not to feel. Now I could, I mean, physical pain was fine. No big deal. But this emotional thing that was going on, oh, I I just didn't know. So when I was told, you know, make a gratitude list, I, I knew the formula. I, I mean, I am a, I have a history of relapse, big, mega, like not cute and pretty relapses, but down and dirty, blow up your life relapses. And I knew that gratitude lists work and that's what I needed to do. And so when I was told to do it, I think we almost instinctually put on there certain things, you know, family I'm grateful to have a, ha- a roof over my head. I'm grateful for my children. I'm grateful for sobriety. <clears throat> my thing was, I was saying it so detached because I really, at the time in early sobriety, I did not think I deserved any of that. I felt so horrible about myself that to think about, my family to think about my children was gut wrenching with this new clarity because I was so stuck on what I had done. Um, I think a big part of having, you know, getting to this point where, okay, I'm going to do things differently. I have to do things differently if I want to, to stay sober was, um, I'm not saying that I'm original in any means, but I made them real small. For example, um, I was like getting into my car on a cold, sunny day and it was warm inside. I, I was aware that I was grateful for that and I could put that on my list. And I felt okay about that. I really felt grateful for that. Or, you know, like what we were just talking about, music. And finding a, a new song with lyrics that, I, that could say something that I hadn't been able to put words to yet. 
that was going on inside of me. I was, I was grateful for that. And I could put that on my list. Um, you know, like how my jeans felt, my favorite pair of jeans felt coming out of the dryer. I, I, I became aware that, wow, okay, I'm grateful for that. And that's really how I slowly kind of got gratitude into my life because I had so much shame and hatred toward myself that really I wasn't at a point where I was feeling worthy of sobriety and all these things that sobriety had given me. I almost felt like I, I, you know, I still deserved punishment, but these little things made me think, okay, this is a good thing. I am really grateful for this. And then, you know, as we, as we work a program or, um, you know, we discover truths about ourselves and we gain responsibility and we get some sort of self-respect and self-esteem back, then it, you know, then it evolves and it grows. Did it make any sense with that? Yeah, I love it. I love it. And you, you started to um, kind of touch on my first question and I don't want to get away from where you were going just now in terms of talking about mm-hmm. gratitudes, because this is, you know, what, what the podcast is about. But um, what I know that you had some relapses and mm-hmm. a couple of, I don't know how many, it doesn't matter, a number of day ones, let's say. Okay. So oh yeah, tell the listeners what was different about your final day one. Oh boy. Well, I, I believe there's, for me, there was this moment of very, very disturbing clarity. And I was in, I was drinking and I, uh, when I am in my disease, my body has to have alcohol in it. That's, that's the level of drinking where I, where I am. And I was at this point where, you know, I, I wake up in the morning and I sneak off and I never am, I've, no one in this house has ever seen me with a wine glass. No one in my neighborhood has ever seen me drink. My husband, who I've been married to for over 15 years, has never, ever once seen me drink. Never. Wow. Um, I am a sneaky bitch with my drinking. Now, that doesn't mean he hasn't seen me totally smashed and psycho, but he couldn't catch me drinking, drinking it because I mean, I chug it. So I would get up, you know, early in the morning or, you know, four o'clock in the morning or something and drink enough to keep my body functioning. I've been at that place where I'm hearing things coming out of walls. When alcohol starts to leave my system, I've had grand mal seizures. I don't, I have this almost fear of getting sober 
because the idea of dying from, from getting sober is, is real to me. Mm-hmm. So I was at this ending place where I didn't even want to be drinking, but I was so afraid of the withdrawal um, detox process. And um, it was toward the end of summer and my kids were going to be going back to school. It was the year I had a son who was about to start kindergarten. I had a daughter who was about to be a senior in high school. I have four kids and only one of my, I have three daughters and a son. Only one of my daughters was I around for her first day of kindergarten. The other two girls, I was away at rehab and here comes Spencer and I'm still a fucking drunk. And I sat outside in the back of my house um, on the porch early one morning. And I just saw my life. And I really, you know, there's this, this, we talk about the yet, you know, during the progression of this, this, this chronic disease that I have. And the only thing I had left was death. And I just did not think that it was going to be me that died. That was the real message that I was getting. Meaning I was going to kill one of my kids in a car accident, or I was going to kill someone else and I was going to rot in prison, or I was just going to I mean, I, I don't know, but it was, it was so terrifying. But then also, where was my life? You know, I just, I knew that things were going to end and I was running out of time. I was, you know, my kids were growing up and what the hell was I doing? So, um, I just, I I had to, I had to stop. I just had to. It was this gift of just utter desperation. And I really needed to do it. When I say do everything different, I'd already done everything different. I'd already tried everything. I cannot tell you how full of advice and suggestions and support and everything I had going on around me. <clears throat> just, just my head was full. It was blowing up with, um, with all this chatter. And so when I went to rehab this last time, um, I ditched everything. I dumped everybody. I, I mean, not literally, but you know, in my head and I quit listening to all of it. And I just decided I had to figure out what in the heck this higher power thing was. That was the only thing I hadn't really leaned into. I love it. Mm-hmm. The higher power. Yep. Yeah. And I, I, lo- I thank you for sharing all that. That's yeah. beautiful. And the higher power part is so meaningful to me because I couldn't see it back 
when I, you know, was at the end of my drinking career. But mm-hmm. the things that were happening, the, the, the day that I thought it might be a good idea to Google a recovery meeting, that was my higher power working for me. My, my Oh, for sure. My yeah. higher power gave me that. I also had, um, Emily, I had that gift of desperation. You know, mm-hmm. I call it a gift now. I'm grateful for that because it was the only thing. It was the one thing that started to turn my thinking around in terms of, you know, I've got, I, I something has to change. What, what else, what I, I haven't done, you know, I've, I've done everything to try to stop this and or right. control it. And, and now I'm in this place of desperation mm-hmm. and I, and yeah, but, <clears throat> yeah. Well, what I was going to say is um, I think sometimes when I look back, I can see myself over relying on what other people told me about myself, meaning whether or not, you know, oh, um, well, you're just, you know, you're just not ready. Clearly you're not ready because you, you know, you keep going back to alcohol. Oh, well, she hasn't surrendered enough. You know, she's still trying to run the show. She's still, you know, thinks she's, she can drink normally and blah, blah, blah. And I, if we're going to talk about the, you know, the 12 steps, it was, I was being told on some level that I had a step one problem, but the reality was, was that I had a God problem. And I, I just didn't, I didn't trust it. And I didn't feel like it was for me. I didn't feel like I fit the profile to, to be that kind of a person. I didn't think that I was good enough for it. But then in the same way, I thought that I was too good for it. It was very, very, very weird. Um, So I started, as soon as I got home, I had a direct conversation with God. And I said, hey, um, I'm firing you. You're fired. (laughs) And we're going to start completely over so that I can meet, re-meet you and you can get to know me because I've been hiding and, you know, because I don't trust you. I don't trust you because I don't like you and I don't like you because I don't know you. And you know, that's kind of just like how it started. And I, you know, sort of didn't do any of this out loud. I didn't tell anybody because, oh, people would have had opinions about it, you know. Mm -hmm. But it really worked. You know, it's so strange. If I just just said, hey, show me where you are. Show me what I should see. Uh, something would happen and I was be like, Oh, I'll be damned. I can't believe it. 
And all these things that I thought mattered didn't matter. You know, I mean, my prayers look nothing, nothing like, you know, folded hands on the side of the bed or anything like that. I mean, I'm like driving 80 miles an hour down the highway, you know, talking out loud and you know, sometimes I'm yelling, sometimes I'm crying, sometimes I'm using foul language, and he's right there with me. It's just, you know, somebody said to me one time, you know, God will meet you wherever you are. You don't have to, to get good first. And I wish I would have listened. Of course I didn't. I thought that was, you know, you know, that was like, the opposite of this, this guilt coin, which is to, which is ego that says, well, that probably worked for you, but it won't work for me. You know, um, beautiful. That's beautiful. I love, I want you to say more about how you pray like the, the, <laughs> the 80 miles. Oh, it's delightful. <laughs> oh yeah. It's delightful. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing gets held back. It's very funny. And and I have a daughter. My oldest daughter is um, so pure and so sweet. And I don't know even how, how this all happened. But she's just, you know, she is, she's in a Christian sorority at school. And um, like her style of things is absolutely the opposite of me. You know, sometimes she looks like the mature mother and I look like, you know, the rebel teenager, (laughs) but it's, you know, it's the same God. It's the same God. So that's beautiful. I love it. So day one. So, so what I'm hearing you say is that when you finally let go and gave this higher power, I, at least oh, yeah. the idea of the higher power a try and you divorce kind of divorced yourself from pre- the previous judgments of god or higher mm-hmm. power whatever you know higher power is different for for everyone right like some people yeah <clears throat> you know their higher power is buddha or universe or mm-hmm. that flower in my garden or or the the people in my recovery program and and it's having that higher power I have found for myself is, is just this awesome, awesome feeling of letting go completely. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, I, it's such a relief, right? Like definitely total relief to just hand it over. There's times I've said, like, I've been angry and I've been like, just fucking take this deal with it because I can't, I'm not strong enough. And and just saying it helps so much and it's almost it's um I always picture it because I'm such a visual kind of imagery person I just see it as me crawling out of the driver's seat and just crawling to the back seat and I like okay now I'm gonna I'm just gonna sit back here and I'm just going to enjoy the ride because I have struggled and fought and kicked and screamed long enough. It's, 
and I feel like all I just wasted and this is what I thought I wasted so much time and what I've been shown is that Emily it wasn't a waste it wasn't a waste because now we're going to do something with it we're going to do something with it and that's that is not me that is not me that is not how I think at all I am a my mom used to call me from since the time I was a little kid, a whirling dervish. You know, I am not the kind of person that, you know, kicks back and watches sunrises. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, I have to force myself to do that kind of thing. I want to go, you know, jump in the waves and, and do that kind of thing. But well, that comes across, think, Emily, that comes across in your Instagram account that you are just, <laughs> it, it is so, so evident that you are joyous in your recovery and that you're, that you have this inner, um, inner brightness that just is just spewed out all over your posts and, mm-hmm. and it's palpable. Like it really and that that resonates, I think, with a lot of people and who are in sobriety, and yeah, and but you you um, are so unique and and so beautifully unique in how you everything, the way you move your body and the way you you know are humorous and the way that you express things so authentically in your posts shows just how much you're celebrating your sober life. Mm, thanks it's, it's, I love it I just love it I kind of try to live my sober life in a way that I just realized this this is really interesting in the same way that I sort of got to where I am um, meaning in sobriety but is just sort of appreciating the people around me and with, with respect, but not feeling like I have to take on anything else but who I am. And as a woman and as a mother... You want to talk about the feeling of relief. That is a relief. I don't have to worry about what my ass looks like in a bathing suit anymore. And I, I don't care. And I don't have to compare myself or the snack I put out on the table at the elementary school, whatever Christmas party and see how it measures up to everybody else's, you know, I don't care. I, I mean, I think it's like, I'm just happy to be alive. I don't, I don't need my, my clothing to fit in with what people are wearing in this neighborhood. I don't need to, I just don't. And it's not that it, I don't even really need to have an opinion on what other, you know, I used to think 
oh my God, what's her deal? What's that, 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 that. And now it's like, I don't even need that. I just, I just can embrace who I am and take no credit for it. I don't take any credit. Yeah. I think that's a big thing. Yeah, it is. It's, it's beautiful. And I have to add that your pink hair, I love. <laughs> I, that's one thing I look at like tattoos and pink hair. I think I, like I have visions of myself doing that one day. <laughs> so like, I, and I, it, I don't know why I don't, I just, maybe it's an alter ego of mine that is too afraid still, but I, but I admire people who can do it like you. I could do a whole podcast on my hair only. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I, because it's just, I used to have my hair, uh, what do you guys call them? My hair stylist, a hairdresser. I don't even know what I call yeah. those people. But anyway, she used to do my pink for so long that, you know, Anybody, okay, this is interesting, but anybody who comes from um, alcoholic parents or a house with that kind of vibe, we are great observers. Like, we pick up on weird shit about people. But anyway, so after a while, I, I figured out her technique on how she does this pink. And... um so to supplement the cost of doing both, you know, two different hair jobs in one sitting, I started doing it myself. And I don't even want anybody in this house when I do it because it is such a shit show. <laughs> oh, my God. My foils are like wads of tinfoil in my hair. I mean, I've got like plastic bags on my head. You know, it's just such a nightmare. But when I don't have pink in my hair, because I've done it for about 10 years now, when I don't have it in my hair, people start asking questions. <laughs> my kids get concerned. I mean, people around, you know, in my circle are like, where's your pink? What's going on? Are you all right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. I just haven't had time to do it. So <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love it. It, it, it suits you. It really does. Thank you. I, f I feel more myself when it's in than when it's, when I'm just a standard, you know, blonde highlighted McKinney mom. Mm, that's so great. That's so great. So Emily, what, what keeps you sober today? Oh, I think... I really try to stay constantly um, grounded in the truth, whatever that may be. And that's, that's a pretty loaded word in the way that I use it because, the, you know, the truth is not biased. It, it doesn't have any opinions. 
it's not judgmental. It's not criticizing me. But I think if I am, am willing to take a look at that, then I always have the opportunity to grow and find ways to be compassionate. It helps me remember where I was and that others are still right there and stay connected. Um, But I think I don't ever feel alone anymore. And I just don't, you know, I used to talk to myself all the time in my head. And now I feel like I'm having that conversation with someone else, which is my higher power. And that's a good feeling. I think that really helps me stay sober. I see things differently. I don't. Things can look pretty catastrophic in in life when they when they come into focus. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even for me to look at you know sitting in this doctor's office and. It was the first time I'd seen him, and this was like a, I can't remember what his official thing, it was a, I was getting a barrage of psych evaluations done. Um, there, he was trying different areas of my brain to see how well it was functioning, because I'm having um, problems with my brain and my neurologist suspects that it's um, alcohol-induced brain damage. And it's a diagnosis that requires multiple tests in different areas. Um, you know, MRI, blood work, mm-hmm. this, all these, you know, different, different costs and memory tests and this and that. And, um, Sitting, talking to someone and having a small chunk of time, and he he wanted to know, um, have you experienced any trauma? And it was a very weird moment for me because I, I mentioned a couple things and then more popped up. Then another thing popped up and then another thing. I mean, all these pieces that, that I realized, oh my God, I survived all of that. It's, it's crazy. And at any moment, those things clearly could have had me never, never wanting to get sober, never wanting to to live differently. Um, and some of them I, I still struggle with. I didn't even know I was struggling with them until I, um, you know, was just in my face shown that I have a, a 
exceptional PTSD from some of this. And I was pretty surprised at that. But I think anybody who has this light or this voice or something deep inside of them that is telling them that maybe you, there is a better way. Maybe there's something more. Maybe there's something else. I think that's the time to look at everything you've already overcome, everything you've already done. And to just sit there in that moment with that doctor and see um, that type of thing, there's no explanation for that. There's, it wasn't me. I, I, I'm not that big of a deal. I'm just not. I, I wasn't raised with these outstanding life skills. It, it was just, it really blew me away. And I, I just, I realized, you know, God, there really, there really is a solution to pretty much anything. And, um, there's, there's things really do work out if I get out of the way and, and let it just work out. So, you know, I'm, I'm in a position right now with some unpleasant things going on, but I, I, it's not that I'm brave. I just, I don't need to be in the driver's seat. I don't need to be staring, you know, like a maniac and like, you know, forcing my way into everything and knowing everything and all this kind of stuff. Because in a sense, I already feel like, you know what, it, it's going to be okay. I don't need to know what that looks like right now. I just need to kind of keep doing what I'm doing. And, you know, I'm just not in charge. And that's okay. I imagine that makes things a lot easier to cope with. Yes, because I can tell you, I am not real good at being in charge. <laughs> I'm not the best. Oh, yeah. I kind of, yeah. And, and this is better. You know, this is just better. Yeah, it's an easier way. It, it, it takes a lot to ruffle my feathers now. Because it, it's, I just, I want to be sucking up everything I can out of every day. I don't want to waste this time. You know, all of this is going to end. It really will. I don't, I would rather fail miserably or look like an idiot or embarrass the kids <laughs> or embarrass myself than live with regret. Mm-hmm. I like that. I am, I am over regret way over it. Yeah. So. Regret, regret can definitely waste space in, in my head. I find it's not useful for today. Well, my regret, I already, I, you know, I'm, I'm, full of regrets 
and that's so you know I don't feel bad about it I feel like you know you're almost not human if you don't have regrets um I just don't want to make more you know beautiful I love it Emily Emily I want to ask you before we we close things up here and I think we could talk for five hours it's so (laughs) awesome I love hearing you um your children obviously mean a lot to you Yes. And I, I get that. I have children and they mean the world to me. Will you share with the listeners how your relationship with them has changed? Mm. Because, and I would imagine this is a gratitude, how it has changed in sobriety. Yeah. Um, I think, I think one of the, the main things is that I am a better listener uh, for them. I used to feel, I used to have kind of a wall up around me, you know. Um, and even though I was, I was present, I wasn't really there. I feel like this idea of, of a living amends means that I have a chance to, to be the, the type of mom that my kids deserve. That does not mean that I get to pacify my guilt by spoiling them in order to make me feel better about things that I've done that does not serve them well. So it was, it was a challenge in the beginning to reestablish this parental respect. And honestly, it still is. But then again, you know, I've got two daughters, you know, in the throes of puberty. So that's, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, my kids are proud of me. And they're not just proud that, that I'm sober. They're proud that I'm strong. They're proud that, hey, if something goes wrong, mom can handle it. That gives them a sense of security. I also don't hide from from issues or arguments or things that that I'm accountable for. You know, my my kids have been damaged, no doubt, and I don't disguise that. I don't have to hide from it. You know, my, my, I think I shared this in an Instagram post that my, when my daughter was in fifth grade and I'd been two years sober, she got called down to the office to pick up like a flower delivery or something for her teacher. And when I picked her up at school, she said something really scary happened today, mom. I got, I got, uh, Miss Trotter told me to go to the office for something. And as I was walking down there, I was really scared. 
And I said, what were you scared for? And she said, I was scared that something happened to you. Oh. And I said, I said, like, what? And she said, I was, I was afraid that you'd gone back to rehab. And so this is, this is ongoing. You know, I, I am in a good place, but I'm also very, very aware of where my kids are and what their needs are, that they are recovering right along with me. I can't, I can't make this all about me. It's not all about me. I need to keep these lines of communication open. My recovery is very, very in this house. It's all over this house. My husband's also in recovery. He's been sober since um, I met him. So we, we don't have any alcohol in here. And we don't have any shame around the disease. I've taught my kids, and pe- this might be controversial. I don't really care if it is, but we've taught our kids since they were little without any stigma attached that they're allergic to alcohol. The same way that Rebecca's allergic to penicillin mm-hmm. and that Stella's allergic to walnuts, they're allergic to alcohol. Um, I don't, it, it's a conversation starter for sure, because they know that they have a genetic component. You know, mm-hmm. my parents were both alcoholics, my grandparents, my aunts and uncle. I mean, I have all, I have several, I have a family tree of addiction. Um, my husband was an addict and alcoholic. The, the odds of them, whether it's nature or nurture, I really don't, I really don't need to debate it. I really don't. I'm, I'm done doing that. I've already done that. Um, but we talk about it. We have conversations about it. And I think that that is how they grow in understanding. They know how this works. And it's interesting because then, you know, both of my girls who are in middle school, they know friends whose parents are alcoholics. And you should see how their faces light up when they hear that. Wow. It's, it's because they, they're like, oh, somebody else. Yeah. Is, and, and it's not like, oh, it's like, isn't it great, mom? So-and-so's parent so-and-so's mom's an alcoholic, you know, and it's, it, it's, it's, it, I don't know. It's, it's a beautiful thing, but it's also, you know, it's a, it's an everyday effort. I need to be an example to them. You know, it's, it's a responsibility for sure. It is. That's beautiful. I know it in recovery to be able to be honest with my kids and more present in their lives in ways I thought I used to be, mm-hmm. but when yeah. I got sober, I, you know, realized that there was some healing that needed to occur with my oldest son and, and what a gift now that from, for this alcohol, like I don't have anything in getting in the, in between me and my relationships. The yes. alcohol, the alcohol was always in the way. That's a great way of putting when, it. Mm-hmm. But it was in the way, that's how I see it today. But 
back then everything was in the way of in between me and alcohol. And then I would get resentful and that was just toxic. So, mm-hmm. um, it's such a gift and to be able to be completely real and honest with your children because you're modeling and teaching them good coping skills and good life skills, healthy life skills. Yeah. Well, I have this image that I'm looking at it right now of you. <laughs> Everyone's going to go flying to your account after I told them this. But, but <laughs> oh, no. You're, uh, it says freedom and you're like flying on a target cart. Like, oh, <laughs> it's like one, it's one of my favorite posts of you. for anyone who wants to get a really good idea of what Emily is like. And, you know, talking, talking to Emily before we started the recording. Um, yeah. After, you know, really, you know, diving into your account, you, you're the real deal. You are, you are the real deal. <laughs> Thanks. That's a compliment. I like it. I'll take it. <laughs> and, and I'm very grateful that you took time out of your day today to share how you got, well, how, how being sober is working for you. Oh, thank you so much. And you know, this is just an honor to, to be able to talk to you and to be, I mean, gratitude is it's so much more than, than what I thought it was. And what a great, great thing that you're doing. I mean, I'm just, I'm so inspired, Sarah. It's just, that's great. Well, I can't do it. So happy to be a part of it. Thank you. Well, I can't do it without people like you and it's, it's a, it's a team effort here. And, and so it's, it's beautiful. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you to Emily, my amazing guest for today, and for everyone who's been listening and supporting my podcast. If you have liked what you've been hearing and feel the podcast would be useful to others, I would be so grateful if you could write a review on iTunes. When we write reviews on iTunes, it helps people find the show much easier when they do searches on the internet. Thanks again, and I hope you come back for next week's episode when I talk with a sober mom who, like myself, is a parent to a special needs child. Thanks again for dropping in and have a great day.